Our scripture reading this morning, thank you, <laughs> comes from the prophet Isaiah. We're reading from chapter 8, verses, verse 19 through chapter 9, verse 7. Now if people say to you, consult the ghosts and the familiar spirits that chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their gods, the dead, on behalf of the living for teaching and for instruction? Surely those who speak like this will have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their gods. They will turn their faces upward or they will look to the earth, but they will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. Send us now your Holy Spirit and speak to us in the deep and protected corners of our hearts. Transform us by your love that surprises us and give us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, uh, one of the ways that we know the Advent season has begun is by the music. Um, and we Christians, we love our music uh, during this time of year. We have our favorite hymns and favorite songs that we sing in church on Sunday mornings. We have our favorite songs that we play at home or listen to in the car. And then there's all those other songs that we have to kind of put up with when we go to Macy's or the grocery store like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, which is always at the top of the charts. 
And so there's a lot of different kinds of music out there, and, and, uh, and to help, uh, help us sort through the songs of the season that we experience during Advent, in our preaching life, we're looking at songs in the Bible, the Advent and Christmas songs of the Bible, and so we're calling this series uh, Songs of the Season. I don't know if you realize this, but in the Bible, uh, surrounding the very first original Christmas, long before all of our carols and Christmas songs and hymns were written, the original Christmas was surrounded by music and singing. Uh, The news of the coming of the Messiah was so good that the prophets and the witnesses to the birth of Jesus, they just broke out into song because the news was just too good to do otherwise. That means that so much of the gospel that is portrayed and proclaimed around the birth of Jesus is proclaimed in song, that these are songs in the Bible. Zechariah sings, Simeon sings, Mary sings, the angels sing. And long before, prior to the birth of Jesus, the prophets of old sang as well about the coming one, the coming of the Messiah even before they knew his name, even before they knew when he would come. But these prophets would never stop singing uh, in anticipation of his arrival. And so today we're looking at one of the famous songs of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah's song. The prophet Isaiah was a prophet uh, of the 8th century BCE in the southern kingdom of Judah. The kingdom was divided at this time. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In Judah is where Jerusalem is. And uh, prophet Isaiah was a prophet at the same time that the prophet Amos was also a prophet in Judah. But Amos was a rural prophet for the working with and for the working class people in the rural communities and Amos was an urban prophet of the temple in the city of Jerusalem and he spent a lot of time in prayer and penned a lot of ink criticizing the leaders of that urban center of Jerusalem and the temple leaders especially. He criticized them for their expensive and glamorous worship that was not reflected in the way that they treated the poor and the marginalized. And there were three primary sins that Isaiah was attacking for the nation of Judah and their leaders at the time. One was social injustice, and he rails on them for that. The other, another is idol worship. They had turned away from God and had given themselves to worshiping idols. And then political compromise with neighboring pagan armies were the three big things that he was attacking. The bulk of chapter eight are words of judgment for King Ahaz, who was reigning as king as, at the time, who had chosen to align himself with pagan armies and turned away from God, turned away from the tradition of King David uh, and ignored the signs of God's presence. The towns of Zebulun and Naphtali, as, as Pastor Bree read in the text a moment ago, they're in the northern kingdom of Israel, which had already been taken by the Assyrian army, and the Assyrians are making their way south. 
uh, to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the setting of the first part of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, is the prophet's counsel to the leaders of the southern kingdom of Judah, warning them of the looming threat of the Assyrians who had already taken Israel and are making their way to overtake Judah and Jerusalem as well. And so chapter 8 ends in gloom and darkness and despair that will surely come with the invasion of the foretold Assyrian conquest. So Isaiah writes this, They will look to the earth, but will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. In the Bible, darkness is... uh, a predominant theme from all from the beginning all the way to the end darkness is a metaphor it symbolizes isolation and terror uh, a season of being away from from the light of god it could also in, be uh, involved in a season of of pain and suffering terror and isolation you might remember the story from 1914 of the uh, explorer, British explorer Ernest Shackleton. Uh, he took his crew to Antarctica and his ship. Their plan was to land and to walk across and then to uh, cross in over into the South Pole and to continue all the way. The plan had to be abandoned because their ship, the Endurance, ran out of endurance and it got caught in polar ice, and it was crushed. Over the following months, Shackleton's crew fought to survive, uh, and, and uh, they had to abandon their mission for a new mission, which is to survive. One of Shackleton's biographers says that of all the difficulties that they experienced, from the frigid temperatures to starvation and all that sort of stuff, the worst thing was the darkness. Near the South Pole, the sun goes down in mid-May, and it doesn't come back up again until late July. And so there's no daytime, no sunlight for over two months. In all the world, say the biographers of polar explorers, there is no desolation as complete as the polar night. In such deep darkness, you can't see your way forward. You have no sense of direction. You can't see yourself. You don't know what you look like. And you can't see if there's anyone around you, whether friend or enemy. And to remain in utter darkness for a long period of time can have a debilitating effect on your psyche. A radically disorienting experience. After attempting unsuccessfully to free the endurance from the ice, they had to abandon their ship and their mission, and to simply survive, they had to wait for months for Shackleton to return with rescuers to save them. In a similar way, I suppose, the prophet Isaiah tells of a time of the people of God being thrust into what he calls an utter, complete darkness. Israel will never make it to see the light of day again without God's help and without God's intervention. All they can do is return their allegiance to God and wait for the light to come. We know about this to some degree. This experience of darkness on a macro level, there's no shortage of darkness 
throughout the world. Our news every day throughout the day is plagued and flooded with the darkness of wars and rumors of wars. Um, I think about the darkness of increased natural disasters. Uh, One of the darkest experiences is got to be um, being in a village that gets completely engulfed in flames within minutes. Driving through that kind of community that has been torched is a really dark experience. Maybe you know about this on a personal level. You don't need a whole lot of examples from me. We all know about the darkness that we face. Sometimes our darkness is caused by our own decisions, and sometimes it's caused by the decisions of others, and sometimes it's called by natural uh, experiences. Um, The darkness of loss, the darkness of unfulfilled dreams, the darkness of disease. Every one of us has to experience darkness at some point in our lives, and some of us are going through a very serious season of darkness right now that is unsustainable. And the good news of this text and the good news of Advent and the good news of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is a God who never leaves his people alone in the dark. Isaiah paints this bleak picture, but it's in the darkness of the nighttime sky that the stars are able to be seen. Darkness and light actually belong together. They only exist in relationship with one another. This past week I was reading an article in um, the latest edition of Christianity Today. It's called A Midnight Clear. And it was written um, by some, an author who talked about the problem of light pollution and the increase of light pollution uh, around the world and how we're not able to see the night sky and the stars. Uh, we know that we only have to go a few hours from here to get a magnificent experience of the night sky, but most of the world doesn't have even that opportunity. And the increase of global light pollution over the last 10 years has made it so that, you know, if God were to call you in the same way that God called Abram, do you remember how God called Abram? He said, go outside of your tent and look up into the night sky and count all the stars you see and, that, and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Well, if God called you in the same way that God called Abram and, and said, look at the stars, you're going to look up and you're going to say, I I see there's eight, (laughs) which may be six more descendants than you want, um, but you get the point. Um, When it comes to artificial light, I suppose that's what Israel turned to in their time of darkness in idol worship and so on. And, and I suppose that when we find our, ourselves in seasons and times of darkness, the temptation is to turn to artificial light. To artificial light. And what does artificial light do? But it just pollutes the night sky so that you cannot find and see the true light that comes only in the darkness. The paradox is that the darker the sky, the brighter the stars. The psalmist says, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and light around me shall become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, 
for darkness is as light to you. And if you sit with that long enough, you can say the next thing that the psalmist says, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You sit in the dark long enough and eventually you will find that light that will affirm that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's one of my favorite psalms. If we're going to talk about light, we also have to talk about darkness because their meaning only exists in relationship with one another. And so out of the depth of oppression, out of the depth of depression, and out of the depth of war and separation from God, all symbolized by darkness, as Eugene Peterson translates in his The Message, they end up in the dark with nothing. Out of that ex nihilo, out of nothing, in the dark comes a bright assurance. In a coronation hymn of sorts, Isaiah breaks forth into a promise that one will come within the line of David who will bring light and life and hope to all the people. The people who walked in darkness, he said, have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. What will bring this kind of light? What will bring this hope to the people? Will it be a military victory? Will it be a new president, a new uh, economic windfall? Will it be a new political regime? Will it be a new technological breakthrough? Will it be artificial intelligence? No, it'll be a baby, a child. The least thing we would expect. For unto us a child is born. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. A helpless, vulnerable baby with all the weight, all the responsibility of a theocratic governance on his shoulders. Now, the author, Isaiah, may have been referring to King Hezekiah, to Hezekiah who was a baby boy or a young boy at the time that he wrote this. It could have been that he was thinking that one day when this young king grows up and replaces Ahaz that, 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 that this will come to pass. This king who will finally, which is what Hezekiah did in part, he restored the temple, he purified uh, the worship, and he reformed the priesthood. Scholars debate whether or not it was young Hezekiah who Isaiah was referring to. But Christians, we know that the Holy Spirit had someone else in mind. The Holy Spirit ultimately was pointing us to an eternal king whose light would shine in the northern kingdom in Galilee upon his childhood, yet he would be born in Bethlehem and he would reign in Jerusalem where King David reigned. There will be a different kind of king who comes to us as a child who has not one name, but many names. Some of his names are revealed here. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, which means he is wise. He will send his spirit to be a comforter and to guide us into the truth. He will be called Mighty God, which means that he is strong and he will be able to finally be victorious over evil and death and will get us out of the mess that we're in. He will be called Everlasting Father, which means he always protects, always loves, always creates new life. And he will be called Prince of Peace, 
which means that all that is broken, all that is disjointed, all that doesn't work, he will bind it all together. He will bring peace. He will make it whole. He will put it right. This is the only one who could ever get us out of the darkness alive. And that's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But just as Israel had to wait for her final, for her restoration, we too wait for the day when this child born in Bethlehem will reign as king and will return and put the world to rights and finally get rid of all of the darkness that we experience. Advent is about waiting and it's about waiting and watching for the light and it's about being alert. And so here's how, uh, here's a few ideas on how we might wait or as Barbara Brown Taylor put it in her beautiful book, how we can learn to walk in the dark. How do we walk in the dark while we wait for the light? First, take time to pause. When the lights go off in your room, everything looks totally black. If you open your eyes and you just wait a minute, your eyes will adjust and you'll realize that there's actually some light in there and you can see more than you thought you could see. So if similarly, when you find yourself in a season or a time of darkness, take some time to breathe. Let, let the eyes and the attitude and the heart adjust. There are sources of light. Remember John 1, the light has come into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. That light is in you. It is around you always. There are good people who love you and care about you. Maybe you're in a dark place right now. Let your eyes adjust. Number two, walk slowly in faith. When you have to walk in the dark, you know it's wise to walk slowly. You're not going to walk fast. You're intentional about each step or maybe even a little shuffle. I know that we like to zip through life, but when we are going through darkness, it is best and wise for us to slow down, to pay attention, to focus not on what is behind, not on what is so far ahead, but what is the very next step. Oswald Chambers once said, what I do every day is to trust God and take the next step. Faith only works in the dark. If you can see where you're going, you don't need faith. Can you see enough to take the next step? The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Number three, use your arms. Uh, you know, when you're walking in the dark, you put, your, you put your hands out and your arms out so that you don't, you know, bang your shin into the bed frame or walk into a wall or a door. In a similar way, uh, when we're going through a time of darkness or as we are waiting for the coming of Christ to be born in us again, sometimes we have to feel our way through. Sometimes the processing of our mental brains isn't working for us and it's just spinning. And we have to get out of that brain and we have to sit and we have to be in God's presence and feel our way through. Um, there's no clear path. Someone else has gotten through in a way that isn't the way that you're going through. Trust those feelings, trust your gut. God speaks to you there too. 
Number four, be quiet. When you can't see, let your other senses take over. Um, I have a couple of friends from a former church who are literally blind and, uh, and they have an incredible acute sense of hearing. And, uh, and this is because when you, when you lose one sense, you're, you have to make up for that with your other senses. When you can't see, let your other senses take over. That also applies in our spiritual life. Listen more, talk less. Cut out distractions. Turn the radio off in your car and drive in silence. Listen more, but don't listen to the voices that put you down or make you feel small. Listen to the voices of wisdom, the voices that encourage you, the voices that build you up and remind you that you're the beloved and the light is coming. Sometimes the voices that put us down aren't real voices. They're imagined or they're real voices from long ago. And they just exist in our heads. And, uh, and they tell us that we are no good, you're a fraud, you're a hypocrite, there's really no hope for your improvement. Shush those voices. Quiet those voices. Don't listen to them. They, they're no good. They're liars. Listen for the voices that will sit with you in the darkness and affirm your inherent belovedness. They won't suffocate you there. The voice of the one who loves you no matter what. Number five, remember that you do not walk alone. Psalm 23 reminds us that even though we walk through the darkest of valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, that is our impending darkness, that even when we are going through that darkness, thou art with me. There is a spiritual presence that sustains us in our darkness. There are others who have walked lonesome valleys too. And then finally, Number six, trust that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. God is working in the darkness. In fact, God does his best work in the dark. Do you remember when God created the entire universe? What, what, what was there? Darkness. It was darkness covered the face of the deep and out of the darkness, God created life and light and brought everything into being. Do you remember the Easter story when Jesus was risen from the grave? When the women showed up at the tomb? John tells us that it was still dark. God didn't wait for the dawn to come and for a beautiful sunrise to then raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead in the dark. God does his best work in the dark. So don't run away from the dark and don't try to fill it with artificial light. Sit in it and wait for the true light to come. This too shall pass. It will not last forever. Because of the resurrection, the worst thing is not the last thing. Some of you may remember, and I'll close with this story, uh, way back in the 2008 presidential election, Senator John McCain was asked by Time Magazine to share his personal faith journey. And he shared a powerful story in that article um, of something that occurred in his life when he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He wrote this, he said, when I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and ankles so that my head was pulled down between my knees. 
I was often left like that throughout the night. One night a guard came into my cell. He put his fingers to his lips, signaling for me to be quiet. And then he loosened my ropes to relieve my pain. The next morning when his shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later, on Christmas morning, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw that same guard approach me. He walked up and stood silently next to me, not looking or smiling at me. Then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at the cross, remembering the true light of Christmas, even in the darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. As one theologian put it, there is no experience so hidden that God's grace cannot find it. There is no soil so sterile that the holy seed of wonder cannot grow in it. There is no moment so dark that it can extinguish the light of God, which even now shines in it. Even in the darkness, there is good reason to sing. Emmanuel, God with us. It may be midnight in the prison cell of our despair or as dark as the polar night, but there is coming a dawn to those who will listen to a wonderful counselor, to those who will trust in a mighty God, for those who lean on an everlasting Father, and for those who long for the Prince of Peace. Let us pray. Quiet our hearts, O God, in this season of holy waiting. Give us reverent hearts. And may we listen to your voice, which speaks from out beyond into our hearts. And as we watch for your light, the true light that shines only in the dark. Amen.